This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Hooker beats Felder in New Zealand. Benavidez gets his fourth chance at a title. Could Felicia Spencer be the next Canadian UFC title challenger? Jose Aldo will be Henry Cejudo's first bantamweight title defense. And the UFC will return to the lovely state of Texas. You be the judge. Is that a good idea? We are joined this week in studio by Elias Theodoro, who discusses how he was granted a therapeutic use exemption for in-competition medicinal cannabis. Joseph Benavides joins us to discuss his journey to a fourth shot at a UFC title, and Felicia Spencer discusses her future title hopes. Thanks to those listening on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa. Or to the podcast, please subscribe, leave your comments, and feel free to reach out to Joe or myself on Twitter at Aaron Bronstetter at Bazooka Joe V, and we'll do our best to get back to you in a timely fashion. Well, at least I will. Joe, I can't uh, make any promises for. Joe is in the Netherlands for a glory event this weekend. Patch, my guy, in the main event. Always enjoy watching Patch get it done in the glory ring. But uh, let's go to uh, Down Under, New Zealand. Do they call it New Zealand Down Under, or is it just Australia that gets that designation? Well, either way. Let's uh, let's take a look and uh, and break down what happened in that particular card. We had Dan Hooker versus Paul Felder. As you hear me punching away, I'm just picking up uh, all the results so we can uh, we can discuss them at length. Dan Hooker beats Paul Felder, and I heard a lot of people saying, "Oh, this is a robbery." Well, if you think this is a robbery, then you don't know what a robbery is. This was five competitive rounds where really almost any round could have been scored either way. I think the first was pretty convincingly Dan Hooker's round. I think the fourth was pretty convincingly Paul Felder's round. I also thought the second was a, was a Felder round. But again, it looks like some of the judges didn't agree with that. So if you have two rounds that are like, you, you could say this guy won that round, this guy won that round. And I think a lot of people thought that Dan Hooker won the fourth round too. That's not a robbery. You can't call a fight a robbery where you have three or four close rounds out of five. You just can't. Like, just because you didn't decide, you weigh it in a different way that the judges weigh it, or you say, oh, well, the criteria says this. I know what the criteria says. And then people are posting stats after the fight. Look, Paul Felder outlanded Dan Hooker in the fifth. Like, no, no, no. Wait for the final stats to come out. Like, you're looking at the preliminary unofficial statistics. Then the final stats come come out, and surprise, surprise, Dan Hooker outstruck Paul Felder in the fifth round and also landed that takedown and managed to get back control. So... While I know that that's not how the criteria is weighed, you know, one takedown doesn't win you a round, you have to look at the rest of the round as well. Like, this isn't a round where Hooker was getting pieced up for four minutes and wasn't putting out any output on his own, was basically just taking a beating. This was a close round, even before the takedown. So let's pump the brakes on this was a robbery. Now, now let's look ahead to both of uh, where these fighters are going to go from here. Now, I, I had heard this week that Paul Felder was reconsidering potentially retiring. Now, he, after the fight... He said, uh, you know, I have to leave a four-year-old daughter behind and do this, and uh, she misses me like crazy every time. And, I, you know, I obviously understand that as someone who travels, you know, frequently and is on the road. But he has to do it far more often because not only is he competing, he's also calling fights. So, you know, when you have a fight camp, you have, you know, you're preparing six, seven weeks, then you have to go and you travel for the week and you're at the event and, you know, like he, he's, it's all-consuming. What these guys are doing. These guys are getting into, like, they're competing in an in a event where there are, you know, like, incredible stakes. And uh, that's not just in terms of ranking, but also from a health uh, perspective. Paul Felder, I think, is, uh, you know, him wanting to retire at age 35. 
He sees that right now he's kind of, you know, this was kind of his chance to break through. This was his chance to get into the conversation with the likes of uh, Dustin Poirier, uh, Justin Gaethje, Ferguson, Conor McGregor, Khabib. Like, that's the upper echelon of that division. And I think that the winner of that fight, they don't necessarily break through, but they get the, the opportunity to break through by challenging one of those individuals. So when they do that, I think that's where we're going to find out what they're made of and wh- where their upside lays. Because I believe that Dan Hooker against Justin Gaethje is a great fight. I think Dustin Ho- uh, Dan Hooker versus Dustin Poirier is a great fight. Like th- Those are good challenges for Dan Hooker to sh- see where he's at. We see where he's at now with that competitive fight against Paul Felder, but we need to look at Dan Hooker and the amount of punishment this guy's taken in his last couple fights. Has that war with Edson Barboza in 2018. Quick win over James Vick, so he's sure. But then he also had a three-round fight with Ayakinta. I'm like, that, that he won, but that's still like a, that's a tough fight. Dan Hooker's a guy that's been in some wars. He lost to Yair Rodriguez back in the day. Uh, unanimous decision. Um... The Gilbert Burns, you know, Gilbert Burns obviously tough. He managed to finish Gilbert Burns in the first round, which is very, very difficult to do. But Dan Hooker, you can now say, is like on the cusp of being in the elite of the lightweight division. So now you, you look at what Dan Hooker has ahead of him, and I think he's right. The only fight that makes sense for him is Dustin Poirier or Justin Gaethje. I, I agree with him wholeheartedly. I actually think Dustin Poirier is probably what's going to end up uh, being the, the fight for him because... It just seems like by process of elimination, unless Gaethje wants to take another fight, but it seems Gaethje wants to kind of wait and see how the dust settles after April. Not that Felder won't want to wait also, but this division is kind of fluid right now. Like we have Conor had that big win over Cowboy. You know, they're sort of hinting that maybe sort of he's going to get the next shot if Khabib wins and that he's going to be ready in case anything happens in that fight. You know, it'll be a phone call away if you want to have him step in on short notice against either Tony or Khabib. So there's still a lot of pieces that are moving here. But I, I do see what Dan Hooker's saying when he says the logical next fight for me is either Justin Gaethje or Dustin Poirier because those are the fights that are going to get him you know, over the hump. Right now he's on the hump. He's, he's at the top of the hill. He's, he's on a skateboard. He's going up the hill. And he's got to either push through and get over that hump or he's just going to skate back down. And we're going to see what's going to happen with him in the coming months, and I think that a Poirier fight would be a lot of fun. I think that's a good one. And then you've also got this pay-per-view now in uh, in June in Perth. It was officially announced this week that is uh, expected to be headlined by Max Holloway and uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky's first title defense after defeating Holloway, uh, a fight that I think Holloway's earned. A lot of people seem to be on the fence on that one, but uh, I think Holloway deserves uh, an immediate rematch, even though that was a fairly lopsided fight. So... You got that. You've also got the uh, the women's flyweight title fight on that card. Joanne Calderwood challenging for Valentina Shevchenko's flyweight belt. So you could add another fun fight to that card, and I think a Poirier versus Hooker fight can either be on that card as like a really you really want to build that card up, or you do a fight night main event. I think that those guys could easily headline a fight night just about anywhere. Again, it's the upper echelon of that lightweight division. Now you look at where. Paul Felder can go from here, and the lightweight division has no shortage of challengers, but he's beaten a lot of them already. I would love to see an Ayakinta versus Felder fight. I think that would be a good one. Diego Fajeja is trying to, to fight up as well. He's trying to uh, get a, a higher-ranked opponent. Um, we've seen Felder be- defeat Charles Oliveira. I think he's the last person to defeat Charles Oliveira. 
Um, but, you know, you've got Islam Makashev. Like, Paul Felder could be one of these guys that now becomes a gatekeeper. And I think that, that might be what his fear is. I think he's worried about being that guy. Because you, you never really want to be in that position where, you know, you're fighting the, the lower-ranked guys to see if they can improve their ranking, whereas your ranking can't really improve. A Felder versus Cowboy fight would be fun. That's one that would make a lot of sense, where Felder could actually fight somebody ranked ahead of him. But uh, I guess we'll see where Felder goes from here. He's got a decision to make, and I, I wouldn't fault him for walking away. You know, like if if time with his daughter is a priority for him, and he has to decide between either giving up broadcasting or giving up his UFC career, like what has the better shelf life? You know, you got to look at broadcasting as something that he can do for many years to come. And uh, as good as Paul Felder is, and I think he's great, I mean, again, this is a five-round fight that could have gone either way. This shows that he belongs where he is in the division. It shows that he's in the top eight, top seven, eight fighters at, at lightweight, which I think is the most competitive division in the sport, at least in the UFC. So, uh, you know, neither guy really walks away with their stock down after a fight like that, in my opinion. Felder's ranking will go down, but I don't think that his stock goes down. I still think that people understand just how good Paul Felder is after a fight like that. Paul Felder is in, in every fight that he's in. Like When I say that he's in every fight that he's in, I mean like he's he's competitive with every single opponent he's had so far in the UFC. And uh, if you look at his career and you go from top to bottom, like look at his losses, other than a doctor stoppage loss to Trinaldo, like he's he's never really been finished. So I don't think he's taken a ton of, of uh, you know, head trauma or... or you know, had any terrible injuries, he's managed to have a career where he's been able to avoid that, which I think is, um, which is good. But, uh, you know, he's really climbed his way up the ladder, and I think he's done so in a way that has been, uh, that is difficult for a lot of fighters. So uh, kudos to Paul Felder, even though he got uh, defeated by Dan Hooker uh, on the judges' scorecards. I don't think that it's uh, any sort of indictment on his Particular skills. He's a, he's a very skilled fighter. Uh, the co-main event, Jimmy Crute against uh, Mikhail Olegzaychuk was another interesting one because Jimmy Crute looked like that last loss really set a fire under him. Under him. The loss to Misha Zirkunov, uh back in Vancouver. Crute looked phenomenal in that fight. Like He just would not be denied, and he knew exactly what to do against Mikhail Olegzaychuk, who's a very, very tough opponent. Two very young, uh, up-and-coming fighters in the light heavyweight division, and Crute gets it done. Um, also, Jan Jianan, Looked really good against uh, Karolina Kovalkiewicz. 30-26 on all cards. And uh, she looks like she's improving fight after fight. Um, I'm kind of with Joe Rogan. I thought that Angela Hill beat Jan in, in Jan's previous fight. But that was, again, a close fight. You can't call it a robbery either. But Jan uh, Nan is a, a big up and, big-time up-and-comer. And it's uh, great to see China having success in this division. You've got the champion Zhang Veli. And now you've got Yan Jiaonan who's moving up. And she's moved up the rankings after... Uh, this particular card as well. She's now uh, ranked number 11 in the division after being previously unranked. So she's uh, moving her way towards the top 10, potentially towards the top 5 by the end of the year. And uh, it's good news for her and for the Chinese MMA community who are getting two uh, very, very talented fighters in this particular division. Uh, what Anything else stand out from this particular event? Uh, I thought Brad Riddell versus Magomed Mustafayev was a really good fight that uh, Riddell, I think he earned that decision. That was a, an interesting one, a kind of a toss-up. But Riddell, I guess they valued a little bit more um, in terms of his aggressiveness in that particular fight. So he, he got that one done. Zubaira to Hugov. This is a guy whose striking has been underrated for some time. And I had mentioned this uh, prior to the event I did at my Q&A, and I said, 
Tuhugov is known mostly for his wrestling, but his striking is really sharp, and he really showed that against Kevin Aguilar. That was a really uh, phenomenal win for Tuhugov, who I think is a, a, a solid fighter in the featherweight division that I think uh, could be pretty competitive with a lot of people uh, in, that are ranked in that division. So uh, nice win for him. And uh, Angela Hill <laughs> wins her uh, third straight fight, her sixth fight in 11 months. Pretty unbelievable. And she had a great quote after the event, which was along the lines of, you know, sometimes when I can fight on short notice like this, I kind of stay out of my own way. You know, I don't overthink things. I, I have to just keep doing it. And, and that's, that's what's helped her. Also, uh, Priscilla, Priscilla Cachuera, who uh, her first three fights did not go well in the UFC, scored a, the fastest knockout in women's flyweight history, a 40-second uh, uppercut KO against Shanna Dobson. So congratulations to Priscilla Cachuera for uh, getting that elusive win for uh, her UFC career. Uh, she came into the UFC undefeated, had three very, very tough fights, including that one against Valentina Shevchenko, which was among the most lopsided fights you'll ever see in uh, professional mixed martial arts. So uh, there is UFC Fight Night in New Zealand, and there was a, a good card. You know, not, not a whole lot of uh, crazily egregious judging errors, although some people would probably disagree with me on that with the main event. But uh, it is what it is. Main event this weekend, Joseph Benavidez against Davis and Figueredo. Joseph Benavidez's fourth opportunity to win a UFC title. It's, or, sorry, a, a title. I mean, he competed for the WEC Bantamweight title. But it's been an uphill battle for Joe B. But, uh, you know, the thing about him is he just doesn't go away. You know, he, a lot of people after losing a, a close title fight, a split decision against Demetrius Johnson, split decision against uh, Dominic Cruz, that knockout lost to Demetrius Johnson two minutes into their first round is only the only time he's been stopped in a fight. You know, you, sometimes you walk away from that and you put your head down and, uh, you, you know, you, you become um, resigned to the fact that you're not going to win a belt. Now, Joseph Benavidez did not have that habit to him. He, um, after getting knocked out in two minutes in pretty devastating fashion, not only did he bounce back, but he won nine out of ten fights. Nine out of his next ten. And the one loss was a, a controversial split decision to Sergio Pettis. Now, his split decision win over Henry Cejudo was somewhat controversial as well. But uh, I think that, you know, uh, you know, Cejudo was deducted a point for uh, repeated low blows in the first round of that fight. But... Uh, I think that Joseph Benavidez, of course, has earned this title fight. In fact, he probably could have earned it sooner, but having lost twice to Demetrius Johnson precluded him from getting that, that fight. But uh, the win over Juicy Formigia in his last time out was very impressive. Um, the win over Dustin Ortiz was very similar to the first time he beat Dustin Ortiz, a unanimous decision where he just kind of got the better of him. The win over Alex Perez, probably the most impressive win of his last three uh, on this win streak. Then the, that lost to Sergio Pettis, which I think a lot of people felt that Joe won two of those rounds. And the split decision win over Henry Cejudo in a fight that you know had a point not got, getting, uh, gotten taken away, Cejudo would have won. But he's the last person to beat Henry Cejudo. Very close fight. They were the coaches on the Ultimate Fighter where they had to coach the person that was going to fight Demetrius Johnson. Like Both of them had fought Demetrius Johnson. They have to coach people in hopes that one of their guys is going to end up fighting Demetrius Johnson, getting the title shot that they want, which is a difficult spot to be in. But uh, Tim Elliott ended up winning the show and ended up getting that title shot. And I had a great first round against Demetrius Johnson, mind you. But uh, Demetrius was able to get the job done. In the five-round decision, he won the next four rounds against Elliott. So Benavidez gets another kick at the can, this time against 
uh, someone who he has not fought before, Davison Figueredo. Figueredo, 32 years of age. Um, he has one career loss, the loss to Jussier Formigia, where he just didn't look himself in that fight. He was still with Team Alpha Male, just didn't look his fight. And then he had that war with Alexandre Pantoja, a decision win at UFC 240 in the fight of the night. That was, a, that was an all-out war. And then a, a, a guillotine choke win over Tim Elliott in his last time out. First round finish of Tim Elliott. Elliott, a great submission practitioner in his own right, but uh, Figueredo's got a, some, some solid chokes of his own. Benavidez, though, it's, it'll be tough to sub Benavidez. Benavidez doesn't have much of a neck. Like that, that's really helped him in his career. He's been able to pop out of these submissions pretty seamlessly over the course of his career. If you watch his WEC fights specifically, he's been able to get out of those precarious positions. I like Benavidez in this fight. I think Benavidez just has more tools. Um, but, of course, Figueredo has some of the best power that we've seen in the flyweight division. He, you know, he's, he's flatlined guys. Of his last uh, five wins, or six wins, rather, three of them have been by TKO. One was a corner stoppage, but uh, two, two by punches against John Moraga and Joseph Morales. So, Benavidez will have his hands full. But over the course of five rounds, I expect... Benavides to have the better gas tank. He's been in this position before, uh, fighting five rounds. I think that he's going to, um, I think he's going to have the grappling advantage, and I think that he's going to have the technical striking advantage. But Figueredo, it's similar to Tyson Fury, almost Fury versus Wilder over the course of the weekend. Like Wilder has that one big weapon that you can just never write off. Not to mention that Figueredo's also got some decent submission skills. Like he's not a one-trick pony, but his power, I think, is his best asset. That's a really solid main event. We'll talk to Joe Benavides later on in the show. I like Joe a lot as a, just as a, as a person. You know, he's, he's backstage a lot because Megan Olivi is his wife, and uh, she's always backstage with me at these events. Her and I have become friends uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, as a result, Joe and I have become friends over the years. Um, you know, I cover the sport, and uh, I try not to have people that I, you know, have uh, any sort of bias towards. I really try to. But, you know, when you, when you talk to people enough times and you're friendly with them and you, you have long conversations with them, you become friends with them. It's not like a... It's not something that you can really avoid a lot of the time. And there are other people in this uh, space that I consider to be friends. Uh, but when it comes to calling their fights, you know, I, I can't, I put, I put emotion aside. I have to. Megan can't. I mean, Megan's his wife. She's with, with him every single day. And I, and I completely understand that. And uh, you know, that, that's, where, that's where someone can have a bias, <laughs> you know, where you, where you can say, listen, you know, I want this guy to win the fight. He's my husband. Um, for me, though, I, you know, Joe... Is just uh, he's a sweetheart of a man. He's one of the most respected people in the sport. If you talk to anybody who's met Joe, uh, you know you'll only hear good good things said about Joe Benavidez. So uh, I'm looking forward to this this particular fight because I think that it's a it's a really solid matchup. I think that Davison Figueredo is he's a very very tough challenge for any human being uh, in the flyweight division, and I think that it will be no difference different for uh, Joe Benavidez. I noticed that Joe Benavidez was on the 2010 All Violence Second Team. As voted on by SureDog.com. But when I think violence, I think Davis and Figueredo probably springs to mind more in the, uh, the eyes of the fan. It's just unbelievable the kind of career that Benavides has had. You know, he starts off in the WBC, beats everybody except Dominic Cruz, loses twice to Cruz. And he's undersized, so undersized for 135. And he gets to a split decision against Cruz. That was an all-out war. Fantastic fight if you haven't seen it. Go back to WEC 50, August 18, 2010. Almost 10 years ago, and I remember watching it. I was the biggest WEC mark. I love the WEC. Every card was awesome for the most part. And then uh, he moved on to the UFC. He won uh, two fights at Bantamweight, and then the flyweight division was created. He was put into a four-man tournament, him, 
against uh, Yashuhiro Urishitani in the, the first leg of that tournament. Gets to the finals in Toronto, UFC 152. I was at the event. Him versus Demetrius Johnson. A split decision. Gut-wrenching split decision loss for Joe Benavides. Was that the one where both Nogueras fought? It was not. Okay. I remember being there. I just don't remember. I don't remember who else was on that card. So, uh, loses the Benavides, to, uh, sorry, to Demetrius Johnson, split decision. Comes back, wins three in a row, two by knockout. Knocks out Juicy Formiga, just like he did recently. Uh, knocked out Darren Uyenoyama, uh, who was a, a solid fighter, good grappler. A decision win over Ian McCall, who had a really close fight against Demetrius uh, the year prior in the first leg of that tournament. Then he gets another shot at Demetrius Johnson and loses in really devastating fashion. First round knockout uh, just over two minutes for the flyweight championship. So uh, Demetrius Johnson wins, and that, that's what's precluded him from getting a title shot. It's been almost seven years since he, he's fought for the title and uh, gets another opportunity finally. But if you look at what he's done along the way, went over Tim Elliott, went over Dustin Ortiz, went over John Moraga, went over Ali Bagotinov, went over Zach Mikovsky, went over Henry Cejudo, went over Alex Perez, went over Dustin Ortiz, went over Juicy Formiga. Like these are some of the top flyweights in the world. Elliott, Moraga, and Bagotinov have fought for a title. You know, like these are guys that are at the high level, and of course, Henry Cejudo won the title. Like these are at the top guys that are just at the absolute top of the division. And uh, Benavidez has earned this title shot, but. You have to imagine that if Demetrius was still in the UFC, if he would have beaten Cejudo, was still the champion. I don't know how. Like Benavidez might have been able to get a fourth shot, but it, you know nothing would have been solid, not, not concretely. I think that the wins that he has right now would uh, allow him to have gotten that shot, and I don't think anybody would have argued it. He's just been the second best guy. He's been the second best guy at flyweight for a long time. He was the second best guy in bantamweight in the WEC. So. You know, it's time. It's time for, for him to get that last opportunity. Now, what we have to figure out is whether he's going to be able to get over the the hump and, and get that belt. Because, you know, they say that it's not the destination that matters. It's the journey. And this has been a great journey. And, you know, his his journey in his life is, like, not even half done. But, uh, you know, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully he lives past 70. Um, I always hope for the same. I, I'm hoping that I'm not uh, rounding the corner at my age. I hope that I'm not. Uh, I hope that I'm still in the first half. That's all. But uh, you know, he's at the end of this part of his life. This part of his journey is is going to come to a close in the coming years. And uh, the destination is important in this this regard. And this title is important. It's eluded him his whole career. So. Uh, you know, best uh, best wishes to him this weekend, and of course, best wishes to Davis and Figueroa. Both these guys have earned this title shot, and both these guys will uh, have a career-defining moment this Saturday, whether it's a win or a loss. Now, in the co-main event, we have a pretty vested interest in this country in Felicia Spencer against Zero Farron Dos Santos. Spencer about an eight-to-one favorite in this fight, and uh, should she win, you'd expect that she gets the next shot at the featherweight title, given that she has a win over Megan Anderson. Uh, unless, of course, Norma Dumont is able to do something really impressive, but. Uh, I believe that Dumont is the underdog in that particular fight. So uh, Felicia is um, someone who I think is a, not a great matchup for Amanda Nunes. Now, I, that, does that mean that she's going to beat Amanda Nunes? Who knows? But I think that if you look at the different skills that Spencer brings to the table and the different assets that she has, you've got she's going to have a size advantage over Nunes. She'll probably have a wrestling advantage over Nunes. Um, the person that Spencer reminds me most of, actually, is Kat Zingano. Like In terms of build, in terms of movement, in terms of strengths, 
And Zingano has actually, you know, has a win over. I think she's the last person to beat Amanda Nunez. So I'm anxious to see what Felicia Spencer can do against Zerafan Dos Santos. You can put MMA math into play, and I'll talk to her about this later on in the show. But you can you can use MMA math and say, well, Spencer beat Megan Anderson in the first round. Anderson beat Ferran Dos Santos in the first round. So by logic, you'd have to imagine that Spencer's going to win. But that's not how things work. MMA math is flawed. It's not like 1 plus 1 equals 2. It's like 1 plus 1 equals 8. So we, when you look at this particular matchup, you have to, of course, favor Spencer. And I, you know, obviously, based on the lines, her being the biggest favorite of the night, people favor Felicia Spencer in the spot. But, uh, you know, Canada hasn't had a title challenger in some time. I did my uh, odds with Dana White, and I said, will a Canadian fight for the title in 2020? And I think I gave him like three or four to one odds on yes, and he said no. So he wasn't confident. But I don't think he was thinking of Felicia Spencer. Like Felicia Spencer, if you look at this featherweight division, if Nunes is actually going to defend, like the, the default should be Felicia Spencer. Because there's just nobody in this division, and she has the win over Megan Anderson, who I think is the next best person. So, you know. You put Dana on the spot. I obviously he's not going to have a time to do research, but I think that uh, Felicia Spencer versus uh, Zara Farron is going to be an interesting co-main event and one that Canadians should watch because we should uh, root for our countrymen and women. Felicia was raised in uh, Florida for the most part, but born in Canada and uh, wraps the Canadian flag when she's uh, in the cage. So she's Canadian in my books, folks. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Another really fun fight on this particular card, Jan Kudalaba against Magomed Ankalaev. Ankalaev, I think, has what it takes to compete for a title one day. You know, he lost to Paul Craig four, four minutes and 59 seconds into the third round by submission in a fight that he had won up until that point, basically. Which is a very tough way to go out in your uh, UFC debut. But since then, he has not lost. And uh, I think that just for, from a skill standpoint, that he can beat people that are in the top five of the division right now. Like, if you look up the light... If you look up at the light heavyweight division, like I think that he could contend with an Anthony Smith or a, or a Jan Blahovic, maybe even a Tiago Santos. Like Ankalaev is a talented, talented guy. He's not ranked right now, which is surprising. And I think that with a win, he uh, he should be ranked at least. Uh, Kutelaba is not ranked either, but Kutelaba is a tough fight. So Ankalaev will look to uh, continue his win streak. Uh, as for Kutelaba, he's uh, coming off a win against Khalil Roundtree Jr. First round elbows. Uh, had lost to Glover Teixeira when he got a bit of a step up in competition in his previous fight early last year. So uh, a really uh, just a, a fun fun card. There's a lot of really good matchups. Uh, the first fight of the night, is Ismail Nordiev against Sean Brady is a great fight, and that's like the, the first fight on the card. So uh, this is one that you're going to want to watch from start to finish. Um, some, some late fill-ins uh, on this card. Uh, Derek Minner stepping in for Chaz Skelly against uh, Grant Dawson. You have uh, Steve Garcia facing Luis Pena. You have uh, Spike Carlisle filling in for Steven Peterson. There was supposed to be a fight between Mike Davis and Giga Chikadze. But uh, Davis was pulled uh, for, a, for a, an injury, an undisclosed injury. And uh, Chikadze is now going to move to UFC 248 next weekend and uh, face Jamal Emers. After Movsar Evlo, I've gotten into a car accident, uh, a motorcycle accident. It looks terrible. You can see on his Instagram page uh, the end result of that. And uh, Luis Pena, of course, was supposed to face Alexander Munoz. Uh, now Steve Garcia, uh, another uh, Dana White Contender Series alum, 
will step in and face Luis Pena in the lightweight division. Because Pena's foray into the featherweight division didn't go well. He wasn't able to make that weight. He's a huge lightweight. Like, when you see Luis Pena walking around, he stands out like a sore thumb because of how big he is. He wanted to go down a weight class. Jeez, pump the brakes on that. And it's interesting to see Tom Breeze back. Uh, Tom Breeze hasn't been around for some time. He pulled out on fight day, I believe it was, uh, when he was supposed to fight uh, at UFC Fight Night 147 in March. Um, for So, Breeze... Yeah, Breeze had an anxiety attack when he was supposed to fight Ian Heinish. So, it's interesting. Um... I don't know if did he disclose? I'm trying to think if uh, he had disclosed that he had an anxiety attack, but he's he's had lots of issues with anxiety, and um, it's unfortunate uh, that he's had to struggle with this throughout his career. An extremely talented fighter, eleven and one, only lost a split decision loss to Sean Strickland, who's a good fighter in his own right. But uh, since 2016, or I guess since that fight against Sean Strickland, June 4th, 2016, he's only fought once. So, uh, you know, I hope that everything is okay with Tom Breeze, and I'm uh, interested to see this fight against Brandon Allen, who's a, a solid, solid prospect, uh, who was on the Dana White Contender Series. I think he was the LFA middleweight champion at the time. So he's making his debut against Tom Breeze. It will be interesting to see how that one plays out. I, I do hope that everything works out for Tom Breeze on fight day. So uh, that's uh, this weekend's card. It's a, it's a solid one. A couple of notes. UFC 2 50 will be held in uh, Brazil, in Brazil, uh, in Sao Paulo, Brazil, rather, in May. And uh, Jose, Jose Aldo ends up becoming the first challenge that Henry Cejudo will face for the title. Now, Aldo has uh, had kind of a rough go in his career of late. Now, he made bantamweight for the first time. A lot of people thought he looked terrible uh, when, when trying to make that weight. He's lost uh, four of his last six fights. But those losses coming to Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky, and that split decision, of course, to Marlon Moraes that earned him the title shot because it was a close fight, and a lot of people thought Aldo won. So they, they rewarded Jose Aldo for moving down to bantamweight and uh, competing against Marlon Moraes, who was you know, towards the top of the division. Right now, if you look at the featherweight rankings, Aldo is ranked 11th in uh, featherweight. And then if you look at bantamweight, he's ranked 6th. So basically, Jose Aldo jumped all six, all five, all five people ahead of him. He jumped Marlon Rice. He jumped Aljamain Sterling, Peter Yan, Corey Sanhagen, and uh, Rafael Asuncao after coming off of a loss. This division has been a mess. Let's just call it for what it is. It has been an absolute mess for many years because nobody has been able to get opportunities to win a championship in this division for years. Let's go back and look at the history of the title belts in this division, shall we, over the last little while? I'm going to pull it up right here. We've got the, the bantamweight division. So, since 2014, or sorry, since, since Dominic Cruz versus TJ Dillashaw, which is 2016, so that's four years ago now, you've had Cruz versus Dillashaw, Cruz versus Faber. Cruz versus Garbrandt. TJ versus Garbrandt, one and two. And then Cejudo, and then Dillashaw vacates the belt about a year ago. 
And uh, Henry Zahudo ends up winning the title against Marlon Moraes. But if you if you take away from that uh, Cejudo versus Moraes fight, and keeping in mind that Cejudo had never fought at Bant or like had, wasn't a bantamweight challenger at the time, like he was fighting for the title after becoming the flyweight title and beating the bantamweight champion at flyweight. So it's not like he beat T.J. Dillashaw at bantamweight, but they felt that because he had beaten T.J. Dillashaw that he earned a bantamweight title shot. So Marlon Moraes gets a shot after earning a shot. Of course, he, you know he beat a lot of great competition along the way. But Cejudo didn't beat anybody at bantamweight that was in the top 10. So Cejudo ends up getting a shot. So all these other bantamweight challengers kind of have to hang back and not do anything. Since the first uh, Cruz versus Dillashaw fight, or I guess the only Cruz versus Dillashaw fight, since Cruz versus Dillashaw, you've had Cruz, Faber, Garbrandt, and, uh, and Dillashaw compete for the belt. So you've had only four people for three years, that competed for the band in a bantamweight title shot, a bantamweight title fight rather. Four people in three years got a shot at the bantamweight title, or were the champion. Then Cejudo gets a shot because he beats Delajat at flyweight, and Delajat vacates the belt due to a failed drug test. So Cejudo gets the shot, wins. He beat Marlon Rice fair and square. Good, good fight, great fight for Cejudo. After that first round, he ran away with it. So Cejudo earned the title, but I mean, he, did he earn the title shot? Eh, it's, it's questionable, I, I would say. But I mean, a win over Marlon Rice to me means that you're among among the top of the heap at bantamweight for sure. But now every challenger, every single person in that division has basically had to sit around for years waiting for a title shot. Years and years. And now you have Jose Aldo who comes into the division, fights Marlon Rice, loses, and gets a title shot. Loses. Has lost two in a row. So if I'm a guy like an Aljamain Sterling, if I'm someone like a uh, Peter Yan who's moved his way up, I know he's pretty new to the UFC, but he's moved his way up. Corey Sanhagen as well, new to the UFC, moved his way up. Javier Asuncao, Pedro Munoz, Jimmy Rivera, uh, Rob Font, like these guys, John Dodson. You look at these fighters, they've all had to just sit around and wait and wait and wait for an opportunity. And then while everybody's waiting for an opportunity, they're beating each other. They're losing. They're losing ground. And it's just, I don't think that it's a, a good situation at Bandaway, and I don't think it has been for many years. So many ups and downs of this division. You had Cruz taking you know, years off for, for, for injury. Like, look at, let's look at Cruz's resume over the last three years, let's say. No, okay, well, he hasn't fought. In the last three years. So that's it. But he took a bunch of time off um, from October to 2011 till September 2014. He was injured. Beats Takeya Mizugaki. I believe he gets injured again. Then he gets the shot at Dillashaw. Beats Dillashaw. Months later, beats Uriah Faber. Months later, loses to Cody Garbrandt. Fought three times in a year. So he was back on track. But then he's been injured since then. And... If if you told me that Dominic Cruz was going to get a title shot coming off of this injury, I wouldn't be shocked. I believe they've pulled him from the ring. Yeah, Dominic Cruz isn't even in the rankings anymore. They've pulled him from the rankings. And I don't even think it would be unjustified to give Dominic Cruz a title shot. But it's just amazing to see all these people have to sit around and wait for an opportunity that just has not come to them. And instead, they've had to beat other challengers along the way. So... Just the, the makeup of this division right now is, it irks me, as you can tell.
So that's UFC 250, ladies and gentlemen. I'm trying to think if there's anything else uh, on that card that uh, I'm not thinking of. I know there's the uh, rematch between, I think it's the trilogy fight, actually, between Shogun Hua and uh, Little Nog, and I think it's probably going to be Little Nog's last fight. Might be Shogun's last fight, too. Who knows? But uh, at UFC 250, you've got uh, Fabrizio Verdun versus Alexei Olenek. That's a fun one. Bechko Hea against Pani Kanzad. Augusto Sakai against Blagoy Ivanov. And uh, Ketlin Vieira, quick turnaround against Marlon Renault. That's what you have. Uh, Marlon Renault. Marion Renault. If I'm talking Marlon Marais so often, I'm getting Marion Renault's name messed up. But uh, pretty solid fights on that card so far. I don't think they have uh, anything worthy of a co-main event, really. I guess you could do Verdun versus Olenek in a main event, uh, co-main event. But uh, recently a picture came out from Amanda Nunez's Instagram. Uh, I think she, re- she copied a tweet from Conan Silvera, and it had this date, May 9th, written on the top of it for Amanda Nunes. So whether that means she's going to be fighting uh, Irene Aldana at bantamweight or one of the people that are competing this weekend at featherweight is anyone's guess. But uh, I would guess that it's going to be a featherweight. I think the UFC is kind of waiting to see how this weekend plays out. But I think that if Felicia Spencer gets a nice win or maybe Dumont gets a nice win, because Dumont's from Brazil, or, of course, Fernando Santos scores a win over Felicia Spencer, maybe they'll end up getting the next shot. Megan Anderson, too. I mean, what happens if uh, what happens if you see Felicia Spencer get a loss and Megan Anderson get a win? Megan Anderson's next in line. Simple as that. It's not a, not a whole lot of moving parts in that division where you have to figure things out. It's pretty straightforward for the most part who's going to get the next shot at featherweight based on this weekend's results. And that's UFC uh, 251. And uh, on that card, you've also got uh, Valentina Shevchenko against Joanne Calderwood. So those are the two fights that, uh, or sorry, that's the fight that's been announced. And then you've got the main event speculated to be Alexander Volkanovsky defending his title against Max Holloway in the rematch. Volkanovsky, pretty lopsided win over Holloway the last time out. When was the last time Volkanovsky lost a fight? I'm just going to go back and look. It was against a guy named Corey Nelson. He got knocked out. This was May 2013. So if he... Well, he's going to basically be riding a six-year unbeaten streak once he heads in to face Max Holloway. It's pretty impressive. How long was Max Holloway's unbeaten streak? Before he... uh, uh, Even if we disregard the Poirier fight, let's look at it. Uh, He had about almost a a six-year unbeaten... or. Yeah, almost a six-year unbeaten streak at featherweight when he fought Volkanovski. So, uh, and now Volkanovski has a six-plus-year unbeaten streak. So his unbeaten streak at featherweight is longer, but if you look at the level of competition, it's not, you know, you're comparing apples to oranges. I know that uh, Volkanovski has wins over uh, Elkins, Mendez, Aldo, and now Max. Max has wins over Frankie Edgar, Brian Ortega, Jose Aldo twice, Anthony Pettis, Jeremy Stevens, Ricardo Lamas, Charles Oliveira, Cub Swanson, Cole Miller, good, good wins. So uh, I'm uh, anxious to see how this rematch plays out. I mean, Max is going to have some time to figure out what uh, what went wrong in the first one and uh, try to right the ship in the rematch at UFC 251. So uh, let's see, anything else that we have to discuss here? Oh, yeah, the UFC is coming back to the uh, lovely state of Texas. And uh, as I said at the top of the show, you be the judge of whether that's a good idea. With a little bit of a play on words, because uh, as we know, the judging in Texas 
last, uh, or I guess earlier this month, that rather in uh, Houston were left much to be desired. Now they're coming back to that locale, Austin, Texas, to be specific, June 27th. And the fight uh, that is rumored per Rafael Mourinho, my brother from another mother in Brazil, running for Kambach, is uh, reportedly going to be between Viviane Araujo and uh, Jennifer Maya, who's lost weight twice in a row, who's missed weight rather twice in a row at flyweight. They're giving her another kick at the can. Shock. So those are two things that were surprising about that. So they're going back to Texas and they're giving Jennifer Maya another shot at uh, flyweight. Good golly, Miss Molly. But I would love to go to that card because I, I, I've never been to Austin. I've always wanted to go to Austin. So let's hope that there's something good on that card that I can justify going and covering that event. It would be awesome. So that's that. And it uh, looks like some dates for Q2 are starting to trickle in. If you, uh, if you go to the uh, UFC events Wikipedia, usually they're on top of things uh, in terms of what's been announced. So they've got... Uh, Let's see what they have that we don't uh, hasn't really been discussed. I guess San Diego, May sixteenth, and now this card in Austin. So everything else I believe has been announced officially. And they've also got uh, Dublin, Ireland. Yeah, in August that's also been announced officially. So we're still waiting on a lot of Q two dates. We'll see if uh, the UFC comes to Canada in Q two. I expect they will. So we'll see how that goes. Let's get to our first guest, speaking of Canada, in studio, joining me for a very long conversation about his journey to get a, uh, to, a therapeutic use exemption for medicinal cannabis in competition. It's Elias Theodore. This has been his goal for about four years, is getting this exemption and uh, having the right to, to uh, fight while using the, the I guess, uh, product that helps him the most from a medical standpoint, so... We also talked about all kinds of different uh, MMA subjects, his future in the sport and all of that. So here he is in studio, Elias, the Spartan, Theodore. Pleased to be joined in studio by the Spartan, Elias Theodoru. It's great to have you here. My pleasure, Aaron. So things are going well for you. You uh, have been, I guess, having a fight outside the cage for the last four years trying to get a therapeutic use exemption. You finally got it. Uh, walk us through how this all happened. Yeah, so... Like you mentioned, uh, it's been a, a long process. One that started with the UFC. Um, when I was uh, competing with them, I applied for a therapeutic use exemption uh, with USADA, which is uh, a part of the uh, World Anti-Doping Agency. Um, in Canada, we have what's called the, the CCS, the Canadian Center for Ethics and Sports. But the being uh, contracted with the UFC, um, all and more specifically, the UFC contracting USADA, all uh, process and all interactions, for the most part, was done through them. So in that, in that long process, uh, I, I did uh, apply, I think, uh, a total of four different times, uh, each of which uh, my case uh, was progressing. Um, they started with a list of, because they never tell you no. They say you're not approved uh, and you're welcome to reapply. So the first time, for instance, they gave me 10 reasons why not. Then the next time it was seven. Then six, then five, then four, uh, and then unfortunately on my end, uh, what's it called? Uh, I was released by the uh, the UFC, um, and in that moment, uh, no, you know, still committed to fighting the stigma of medical cannabis in athletics, uh, and now kind of a free agent, as I mentioned uh, prior in our conversation, a free agent for an agent of change. Um, I was able to apply 
um, for licenses uh, in different uh, in, for different um, jurisdictions. Uh, and the one that I did uh, apply also had a therapeutic use exemption uh, option as well uh, for medical cannabis, and that was through the uh, British Columbia anti uh, sorry British Columbia Athletic Commission. And I did, and through the process, they eventually approved that I uh, met the criteria and what was needed for a, a, uh, sorry, a therapeutic use exemption. And uh, it's the first of its kind, uh, not only in British Columbia, but for any athletic commission. And it opens the door not only for myself, because it sets precedent uh, for every uh, boxer, MMA fighter, professionally and amateur uh, that is uh, overseen in that, um, in that jurisdiction. So once you saw it, I guess, without the picture, it became a lot easier for you to do this? Yes, uh, especially because of the fact that in Canada, healthcare is a fundamental right, and that's part of what I applied when doing so through the British Columbia Athletic Commission. And I more specifically did it through the Charter of Rights and Freedom and uh, the aspect of not having persecution of any medical uh, disabilities, and that's what in many ways... Uh, one could classify my bilateral neuropathic pain, which is essentially nerve damage of my upper extremities, and no other medicine would help in the way that cannabis does, both in the actual treatment, the pain management side of it, and the adverse effects. There were so many more adverse effects with all the first-line medicines like painkillers, opioids, and even to the point at the end of it where they were prescribing me antidepressants, not even necessarily to treat my... Um, to treat my condition, but rather to numb me as a whole, which is a backwards way of thinking in medicine. And that's what my my own family doctor was telling me throughout this whole process. And beyond my family doctor, he was also one of the the top um, the pop, top uh, pain med- uh, specialists in Canada. Uh, is also one of the leading uh, components in my uh, therapeutic use exemption uh, for the. Just the, the backing of the information, the backing of the uh, the uh, medical documents and whatnot, and to kind of outline and blueprint uh, me as a patient and also me as an athlete and the competitive disadvantage I have not being able to medicate as prescribed by my doctor. Because any other athlete or any other opponent, if you will, would be able to use uh, a first-line medicine. And if it worked for them, it doesn't work for me. So that puts me at a competitive disadvantage. Did you have any sort of adverse effects from the other medications that you took? Yeah. So one of them, for instance, Lyrica. The first thing it did, it made me gain 10 pounds. I, I completely bloated up. And as a fighter who cuts weight for a fight, doing so, um, taking that medicine and having those adverse effects in many ways was a detriment not to, only to my condition, but also the additional adverse effects. And that would add stress, that would add discomfort. Uh, also the aspect of now we're in training, I'm bloated, uh, I'm constipated, and now I have to get punched and kicked in the stomach yeah, on so a regular far. basis, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So especially capa- in the capacity of what my job entails, not being able to have my medicine, not being able to compete at a, a level playing field really puts me at a de- uh, um, competitive disadvantage, not only on fight night, but also leading up to it. And, you know, it was that. It was also the antidepressants that they wanted me to take. It was also the opioids as well. Um, Everything had an adverse effect. Uh, uh, You know, for me specifically, 
as prescribed by my doctor, medical cannabis works best for me. It seems crazy because if you, for whatever reason, had some sort of addictive personality or, or addiction was in your gene, you could have easily gotten hooked on one of those, like you call them, what do they call them, stage one uh, or front lines, like one of those front lines. Yeah, first line medicines. First line, yeah, yeah. Medi- medicines like uh, Oxycontin or yeah. any of those. I, was that one that was prescribed to you? Uh, it it could have been. Yeah, it, like okay. it could have been, on, like there's a whole list. There's so many mm-hmm. uh, types of drugs that uh, are on there and there, there are certain groups and families that you, uh, in, in, I guess, the pill family, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of uh, work. And, and again, to the point of how weird this was, where my doctor is saying, we don't even use this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> we don't, like, this, like, we haven't suggested this since the 80s. There's like those pill commercials in the States. They're like, if you take this, you might end up having, yeah. you know, yeah, it's like sleep, yeah, and no, it's vomiting like and sleepless leg syndrome. Yeah. And it's like the, the, the side effects are worse than it. It's like, mm-hmm. may cause death. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, but point being, um, it, it's an outdated mindset that I had to fight an uphill battle first with the United States company that I worked with because USADA gets most of their funding from the U.S. government. And the U.S. government looks at cannabis as a Schedule One drug. The same thing as heroin. But ironically, heroin is in most painkillers and opioids. And that's totally fine because, you know, Big Pharma says so. Um, so... That was the uphill battle that I've been fighting. And, uh, you know, as with anything, uh, you, you bury your head in the work and you do, you, you, you kind of push forward. And obviously there's a lot of similarities in what I do in mixed martial arts and as an athlete, right? Like I don't necessarily have the same uh, um, or the, the, long, um, the long history of mixed martial arts like other athletes who have been doing this for a set amount of time. But I'm the type of person to put my head down and... Uh, get it done, and that's what I've done in the cage. Uh, you know, coming from first time I stepped for a gym uh, to becoming the first Canadian Ultimate Fighter winner in four years, uh, and then subsequent another five years from now becoming the first uh, sanctioned medical cannabis athlete. And obviously, the the ramifications what that has not only for myself but all other athletes. Could that have global ramifications where like WADA starts having TUEs and things along those lines where? This is kind of the first domino? I think in many ways it is the first domino. Um, for instance, the, uh, the Association of Ringside uh, Physicians, they even picked up the story that I had because it's these physicians that are the ones that are approving it. So, for instance, when I did the, the um, therapeutic use exemption, we were, uh, my counsel and I were discussing this with uh, the commissioner, and it was the ringside physician that was the one that was the ultimate yay or nay in regards to the approval, right? Because obviously the physician, the doctor, the one that would be uh, kind of overseeing any type of therapeutic use exemption, not only in the back end, but also fight night too, right? So the fact that it got approved and it's got picked up by the the association that would essentially be responsible for any future athletic commission uh, TUEs uh, is a big step in the right direction. And uh, let's just say, obviously, uh, I am someone that knows how to navigate through uh, the regulations and the applications and any other type of processes. Let's just say that there, there's definitely another avenue where I think I could, again, be a uh, use uh, uh, this precedent uh, in a backdoor way to get through to USADA and uh, WADA.
Do you plan on elaborating on that at all? Not right now, but uh, we'll <laughs> definitely come. We'll definitely come back to it um, once. Uh, you had that look on your face, where like I've got, I've got something in, you know up my sleeve here, but I can't really share it with you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, the magician. You always leave me wanting more when you come here. You you always say, "Well, we're working on this, and uh, <laughs> you know, I'll get back to you." Well, exactly. I'm working on That's it, good. right? Yeah. And well, you don't want to give it all away. No, don't, you don't. You want to blindside these folks. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. More importantly, um, I also want to again um, not have any of the the current stigmas that may have uh, that may st- still can uh, you know exist in, in the space, uh, whether it's um, different jurisdictions, different um, avenues in which I plan to attack the outdated uh, stigma that surrounds medical cannabis. It's pretty incredible how much in the last ten years things have changed. Like, it's remarkable. No, hundred um, percent. Even in the last four years that I've been doing this, right, going from the first two years kind of doing it in silence. And then Canada legalizing it nationwide, uh, and you know my oblig- uh, my almost feeling of being obligated to coming out to try and help move that direction. Now you have um, the uh, I think it's uh, the uh, NFL is it's a little misleading. They say they're not going to test anymore, but in real- reality, what that means is they're only going to test in preseason, and they're going to tell you when it is. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the clarification of the big difference. And that's just for cannabis, not for. I'm sure they still have random tests no, they, for other stuff. But, but even with um, NFL, what I've been told is they kind of tell you when it's going to happen. And it's really just an IQ test if, if you okay. fail. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so a lot of people have failed in the last year. It seems like big name players, which is yeah. surprising. Yeah, because it's an IQ test. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but, but, but point being, um, point being, they they what I've been told and what I've seen, there's a, a pre-test uh, in the preseason, and they tell you when it is. And then they don't test you again. So there is still a test. There isn't the um, isn't the same penalties. Like you're not suspended for X amount of games anymore. I think it's more of a slap on the wrist. But it's still considered a prohibited substance. The, the big difference between me, mine is the first case that it's considered medicine. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, whether it's the legalization as a whole, medical is kind of how... The infrastructure, and I, I wrote a blog about it. The, the parallels between legalizing MMA uh, and legalizing cannabis. It, there's always a, you know, an infrastructure that needs to be built. And in cannabis, that was through the medical uh, process, and then with the UFC becoming a, you know, a worldwide phenomenon, more specifically uh, legal uh, in North America wide, it had to do it through the athletic commission. And some of that was through the uh, the previous boxing. Uh, athletic commission or completely building and overhauling one well you should be proud i mean the ufc have lots of dollars behind them and lots of lobbying strength and you're just a guy like you're, you're working with uh, a group of people that are helping you out along the way but like you, you've really made this your mission and really attacked it full on yeah uh, well thank you um yeah, I, I couldn't uh do this without the the great team that's uh, helped us but it's in many ways um persistence but also you know seeing that same light at the end of the tunnel. I've been here before with fighting, or, you know, stepping in a cage or stepping on the mat for the first time and, uh, you know, being a fan first and saying, you know, I want to be there and not really knowing how to do it, but just kind of doing it and trying to kind of getting there and kind of pushing through. And that's the same process uh, with my therapeutic use exemption and uh, my fight for medical equality inside the cage and out. So right now you're out of camp, I guess. You, you don't have anything lined up. How often are you training? Uh, still twice a day. Um, it it really depends on some of the outside projects that I have, uh, you know, the the different businesses that I've kind of been working on and whatnot. 
but you know, I'm always an athlete. I'm always in shape, uh, and um, I'm always ring boy ready. Uh, <laughs> definitely have uh, my next set. Uh, I'll be at uh, BTC uh, ring boying uh, for a couple of the female fights out there, and I'll also be following week. I like uh, BTC. Yeah, no, they're promotion. great. Mm-hmm. Great promotion. Uh, great fighters. Uh, some of Ontario's best, and I'll also be. Uh, reprising my roles as uh, the Invicta Ring Boy, the mm-hmm. inaugural R- Invicta Ring Boy uh, for the next Invicta event uh, coming up March 6th. That, that's the first open scoring event from what yes. I understand. Yes, it is. What so, do you think of open scoring? Because I personally hate it, but I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you the mic. It's interesting. I, I understand both aspects of it. I just think there's going to be some shenanigans kind of well, that I mean, kind of happen. there always are. Yes. Yeah, there's just going to be some coach uh, on the TV Looking and seeing what what they're saying and kind of letting them know. No, well, they let you know in the arena for open scoring. Oh wow! So yeah, like the judge, the, the the fighters will know what the score is going into each round. I think it'll ha- I think it might have a lot of unintended consequences in regards to how fighters will react going to the third or how they will react going you know in the second. If you already have one one round in the bag and you have two maybe two rounds in the bag, yeah, then you'll cat see and mouse in the third round. Exactly. And I I don't like it. I. I've never been a fan of open scoring. If I find that the people that like open scoring have, haven't watched events with open scoring. Like if you if you Fair go enough. and watch events with open scoring, you realize that it seems like a good idea, you know, in principle. But once it's actually put into action, it's just it's not good. It might be a, just a, a test pilot. They might just try it that one they time. Are. And I mean, the Kansas Commission, like I think the UFC have gone to Kansas State once. So it's not like this is something that's going to have like, and and it's again up to the promotion. So I'm sure the UFC aren't going to go to Kansas and be like, yeah, yeah, we're going to try open scoring suddenly. Probably yeah, not. but well, it, but it is good to see. It will be good to see um, it put into action for Invicta because I think because women's fights have less of a finishing rate, I think you'll quickly see how mediocre the third rounds will be when a fighter's up two rounds. I think there's that, and the other aspect to remember it's the Phoenix uh, series. Yeah, so right? that, even that. But those are two round fights too, right? Not the first one. It's one round, then two round, oh, right. then yeah. three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then one round it won't even matter. Matter. Yeah. I mean, there'll be open scoring pretty much because you'll know at no, the, end of the round who exactly won exactly who won. But uh, the second round, I mean, two round open scoring might be. Eh, no, I still think it'll be it'll be a cat and mouse game. It'll still be the the fighter that's up trying to elude. Well, actually, for two round, not really, because then it'll be a draw. Yeah. Right. So you kind of would need to just act as if it was a regular like the score doesn't even matter going into the second yeah i guess so um interesting yeah i, I don't know i i like the phoenix series i think that's a really oh it's been really idea. great yeah it, it's really cool to kind of be a part of it because there's just so many moving parts like it, you can't even go with where the narrative is it's just kind of happens and then everything kind of fits into place mm-hmm. yeah i really like it i think it's a smart idea um and I, I think tournaments in general are good as long as they're not like but when bellator was all tournaments I think it was yeah. a little bit too much, but when they started to now they have the Grand Prix. I love, I love it. I think it's awesome. I like yep. that they had that show with uh, where Moro was. Like, it almost was like an NBA draft where yep. he's like the guys are picking who they're going to fight. I love that. I thought that was awesome. No, no, really cool and 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 really interesting with the the way that the uh, Invicta uh, Phoenix series has it is like we mentioned. It's the first round, then the second round, then the the final round is three rounds, right? So it's almost you're only doing a championship yeah. bout, right? Yeah, and it's like maximum of six rounds a night, which at the end of the, like, isn't terrible. It's not like no. you're doing all these, it's, like it's, in kickboxing when they have these tournaments and a guy gets like dropped in the first and yeah. comes back and wins and then has to go out again after like basically getting concussed. Yep, like you know. 30 minutes later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 30 minutes later, the heavyweight, like these heavyweight tournaments, I don't know how they do it. No. It's, it's crazy to me. I don't know how a coach can be like, oh yeah, you're, you're good to go. Yeah. You're ready. Yeah. 
and I uh, and then the PFL had that one where Chris Curtis retired and then yeah. came back and fought. Like that's that kind of stuff is what makes MMA what it is. Yes, you know, like it's just <laughs> it's just always like it's always something crazy. A that's little bit of a gong show at yeah, times. Yeah, which is I, I think and the best. Yeah, I think that's the best. That's the the best part about it. Sometimes. Well, that that's what makes it as real as it can get, right? Like because you never really know. Yeah. Right? Well, that's why open scoring is bad. Like take Jones True. versus Reyes for example. Jones versus Reyes. This is the example I keep giving because people were arguing for open scoring after that Texas event. Um, but going into the fifth round. You would have you would have had a 38-38, 38-38, and then 39-37 Jones. And you've already seen that Reyes has slowed down. Yep. So you kind of know what's going to happen. And even if you don't agree with the score, like, what are you going to do, just boo? Yeah. And then, then that's going to mess with the judges, too, because they're going to be like, oh, maybe I need to, like, compensate in this next round. Like, it's... Yeah. There's a lot of... Like I said, I think there's going to be a lot of unintended uh, consequences in regards to it, but... We'll see. Who did you think won that that fight? Do you, are you watching all the events still? Yeah, no, I'm part? definitely watching it. I I, I thought Ray's won. Uh, I can again. I can see. Uh, I think the the actual what was it? What was the actual um, score? It was no. unanimous for Jones. Yeah, it was forty nine, forty six, forty eight, forty seven, forty eight. Yeah, so like that's a little different in regards to what I think it could have really been. But you know, even if you're going into the aspect of Jones talking about those takedowns were the difference, he didn't necessarily do too much after it. And it wasn't until the, the championship rounds, mm-hmm. uh, but yet he still won all those other rounds. So yeah. th- that's the confusing part. And in open scoring, you would have known that, and you would have been like, how, what? Did, how did Jones just win the second round? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just saw him lost. Yeah, although we've learned more about that judge since uh, yes. the event. But, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pat myself a little Barry Horowitz here. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know. The Texas Commission, I just don't think they're bringing in the best people. Like, I think that they reward their local people for doing whatever they're doing and you know like this judge has also refereed ufc events yeah so i don't know texas gonna text texas yeah, exactly. <laughs> going into the event you know there's gonna be shenanigans and then they, they somehow manage to like even like Outperform. go above and beyond yeah, exactly. yeah, what people what people think are gonna happen uh, houston um, we have a problem yeah any uh, any other um mma stuff you found interesting this year anything you've You've watched that uh, caught your eye? Well, one of the things that just kind of recently happened, uh, Aldo getting the the, yeah. the, the championship mm-hmm. out. I put the over... thing out yesterday that yeah. uh, four of the six of uh, pay-per-views to start the year had uh, fighters coming off a loss. Yeah. yeah. In fact, very... one of them had two fighters coming off a loss. Yeah. Which is it, interesting. And uh, a couple of other stats where it's like uh, this This will be the first, the second time uh, a fighter with back-to-back losses will be fighting mm-hmm. for it with a belt. And the other one's Yolo Romero. Yeah. So right. it kind of it takes away from the the sports side, but you know you can't take away what either of those. You got cut off of one loss, and now they're giving guys title fights off of two losses. Yeah, it, if, I, if only they would have kept you, you could have lost another one. I could have been one a title of contention. Yeah, the title. I could have been title contention. That was just one loss away yeah, from a title. Loss away, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing though. Like, I kind of get it. Like, I get the matchups. It's not the the, the all the one I don't really get because the bantamweight division's got. Like, yeah. I actually feel bad for everybody in the bantamweight division because if you look at it over the last five years or whatever, you had four guys, I think, that had competed for the title in like four years. You had Cruz, yep. you had Garbrandt, you had Dillashaw, and you had Uriah Faber. I think the, those four were the only ones to compete for a bantamweight title for like three or four years, which is like absurd. Yeah. And then finally, it's like, okay, well, Cejudo yep. fought Morais. Now we've got a new champion. Aljo's in the mix. You got you got uh, Sandhagen's making noise. Yep. All these guys are are coming. Peter Yan. All these yep. guys are like looking great, and then suddenly Aldo so, comes in, Aldo. loses a fight, his, his first bantamweight fight, only one of his career, and he gets a title shot because Cejudo asks for it, and they're like, oh well, it's going to be in Brazil. We need a Brazilian headliner, and uh, Cejudo's already beaten Rice, so let's just. 
fuck Aldo and you know put like a square peg into a round hole and see what happens. But I mean, it's still Aldo. Like, yeah, you it know is that's still the Aldo. thing. It's still Aldo. It's not like they're taking um, I don't know, like Uriah Faber and giving him a title yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah, But uh, yeah, he's fighting a bantamweight still. Yeah, like it's not like they're giving Uriah Faber a <laughs> but shot. But they could. He's, he's, he's one. Yeah, he's do, one do win away. In, do in California, one loss away. One loss <laughs> yeah, away. Fair yeah, enough. One loss away from a title <laughs> shot. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's weird to see. But Yoel Romero, I get though. hundred like, percent. Paulo Costa gets injured. Um, I know Yoel's lost two in a row, but, but uh, those two losses really could have been fights. Yep. wins. I, I thought he beat Whitaker that last I, I, time. Yes, I could see that. Because, I mean, if you're scoring that round by round, like you can give Whitaker three of those rounds, but he took like a beating in the two that he lost, and I yep. thought that both of those were 10-8 were rounds. Eight. Yeah. I mean, those, those were bad. I went back and watched that recently because I was like, man, maybe I just don't remember. No, but I remember bad. thinking it was a robbery at the time, and it, it holds up as a robbery. Well, and it goes to the fact that like no one can fight Yoel Romero twice in yeah. get unscathed, whether it's the right. the short term, long term, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's that fight or the next fight. Look look at Robert Whit- Whitaker, man. Like yeah. his body's falling apart. Like Although I will <laughs> say I, Paulo Costa after that fight, even though he couldn't walk, um, looked better than he did when he fought Uriah Hall. Yeah. Like Uriah Hall really really put a beating on him. He looked terrible after that fight. And he yeah. actually said that to me. He goes, Yeah, I said that to my my brother in the locker room that uh, the the Uriah Hall fight was harder. So that's interesting. interesting. Yeah, but uh a lot of people thought Yoel won that. I I thought Paulo won that. I fight, thought Paulo but, uh, you know, won that as well. It was a close fight, though. It's because again with Yoel, he does those very tricky things. Like he looks away and then hits yeah. you. Like you know what I mean? But I think that some of that, um, even though he's so explosive when he does it, it's almost like in a unathletic, mm-hmm. but super athletic right fashion. That he like is falling all over the place. And Yoel, I think, is the best cheater in the history of the sport. In terms Ever. of, well, John Jones might be up there too. Yeah. yeah. But it just guys, and when I say cheater, I don't mean like that they're actually cheating, but they're able to like they know the, where the, what like the rule the is, rules. and they know how to like get away with not as much as possible. It, but uh, yeah, or like crossing it enough where you're not going to get a penalty. Exactly. Like, you know, like sitting on the the bench, bench. for too long, pretending not Tim. to know English. And, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh no, my, my corner has left yeah. things in here. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, that's how we got into mixed martial arts in the first place. He basically took a dive in the Olympics twice, and that's why he has a silver, not a gold. He took a dive? Yeah, he took. that's why he got kicked out of... Uh, he got kicked I don't, out of, I don't uh, even know this. Yeah, he got kicked out of uh, the Olympics, because uh, uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name. Uh, he smashed him in the worlds every single time, yeah. like destroyed him. Mm-hmm. And then... Well, that, uh, that part doesn't surprise yeah, me. And, then, and people say that he's on stuff. If you look at him in the no, Olympics, he's always he looks been like exactly that. the same. Like, yeah. and, and the crazy thing is, because he is from Cuba... Or um, is it Cuba? Yeah, yeah, Cuba. he is from Cuba. He's probably older than he even says he is. Yeah, well, that's insane. <laughs> I mean, he did that backflip. He actually beat Israel in like a dance contest. Israel looked angry afterwards. He's like, oh man, they won't let me continue. <laughs> like I look like a punk. Yeah, <laughs> he just backflipped out. He did of a here. backflip into the splits. Into the splits. And Dana and White the hat stayed on. Yeah, the hat. Stayed, it's unbelievable. That guy's like a marvel of. of he's a superhero. He is. He's, 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 he's like a, a ninja superhero. turtle. Yeah, <laughs> but um. Yeah, no, he's like a he's a ninja turtle. Mm-hmm. And his interview that he did with the schmo was one of the greatest. Yes. Have you watched that? Yes. It's like five minutes of just like <laughs> <laughs> it's like pure un, unadulterated entertainment. Yes. I, hard not to love Yoel Romero. So, point, and I think a lot of people are writing him off in this fight, but you can't you know, no, write off Yoel Romero. No, no, he's dangerous. And, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they definitely have some uh, some beef kind of going into this. But going back to it, he smashed the guy in the Worlds, and then the Olympics, he took a dive uh, twice, and he was suspended for five years for doing mm-hmm. it. But how how can they grand. prove that that he? Uh, there, you know, a coach was that was benefit? supposed to get fifty grand each time. Oh, he got paid fifty yeah. grand each time. Well, I mean, when you're in Cuba, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's probably worth more than like a gold medal. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. So that's why he did it there. And then uh, has he, he admitted to that? Yeah. Well, he he got they 
Okay. They've fined them and yeah, they, they, okay. they suspended them mm-hmm. uh, for X amount of years, I think it was. You can and, fine Olympians? Yeah. They don't make any money. Yeah. That sounds crazy to me. Okay. Yeah. I guess, but they they find the program probably not the. I think so. Okay. I, I, let's put a pin on the um, on the fine, but they definitely okay. uh, they suspended him, and that's why he came mm-hmm. to MMA. Yeah, man, he's done great. I mean, great. He got knocked out by Feijao that one time, but we all know the I guess the, the he history was so there. green, right? Well, he was green, and Feijao popped like whatever years later for like countless amounts of performance enhancing drugs. Everything or whatever it was. under yeah, this exactly, side. yeah. And then he wasn't the same fighter when he when he was back in the UFC. No, he wasn't the same human. <laughs> was the, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't the same human, but uh, so I don't really hold that one against Yoel Romero. That was also a two hundred five. So yep, you know. But Yoel, since then, I mean, like the guy's just been a demon. Like he's... yeah, even if his losses, right? They're mm-hmm. they're close. Yeah, competitive, exciting fights. Yeah, like and if Israel's able to finish him, like I mean, yeah, what more can you say about this guy other than like he's absolutely legit and can beat pretty much anybody Anyone. in the division? You know, I actually think. I actually think Romero is a is not a bad matchup for him because Romero doesn't use his wrestling that no. much, and I don't think that he's going to try to use it that much against um, so Israel. But I mean, if Israel smart. gets hit by something like you know, I mean, anybody gets hit by something from Yoel yeah. Romero, if, if it hits in the right spot, you're you're going out. Yeah, and we've and Israel's been knocked out before. He got yep. knocked out by uh, Alex, Pereira. Yeah, Pereira. yeah, Alex Pereira, who I think can knock out any human being on this planet. Oh yeah, like, that guy's monster. Hook, left hook is like unbelievable, dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> You were were you ever thinking of fighting in glory? Uh no. Um I think uh, my heart and my mind was definitely set in mm-hmm. um UFC. Uh like I, that's what I was a fan of first and foremost. Obviously, uh a fan of glory and kickboxing in general. Mm-hmm. But uh, much of my kickboxing experience was more or less amateur and you know some kind of uh, regional stuff that I could uh compete in just kind of a, a subsequent for when uh a substitute rather mm-hmm. for when uh the UFC uh, was eventually actually allowed in in Ontario. What do you think is the most underrated part of your game? Like if, that people say, "Oh, he can't do that," hmm, or he's not very good at that, or whatever. Um, I mean, there's always the the keyboard critics. Yeah, yeah no, I, I I think um one one of the under like I think it was getting appreciated more uh, my ability to find a way to win. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, when I wasn't able to pull it off uh, the same way and the same vigor that I did in certain fights, uh, it. It wasn't as appealing to some of the the fans and some of the the critics, as you would say. But I, I think one of the under underestimated thing is my ability to kind of hit the drawing board and kind of uh, regroup and grow. And that's what I've been I've done since my uh, release from the UFC. And I'm excited now to kind of um, take that and run with it, uh, like I did with my last uh, fight, my finish. And uh, I, I feel great uh, in in training, and I'm really excited to. Set up another training camp and you know prove uh, all the doubters wrong again. So if you saw a never bent, never bends on this PUE, do you ever see yourself fighting in the UFC? Like, would you do you prefer to be able to fight healthy than fight at whatever they consider to be the highest level or whatever it is? Yeah, no, obviously uh, I want to um, keep champion uh, a cause I believe believe in a cause that uh, I'm adamant of doing. Uh, you know, never I would never say never. Um, I'd be a, a liar if I said that, but I definitely, where my mind is right now, I want to keep pushing forward. Uh, if the UFC was to call back, uh, th- that's definitely something I would uh, entertain in regards to a conversation, but I'm looking forward, not backwards. Who do you think is the best Canadian in the sport right now? Outside um, of yourself. Like, if you were to just look at the, the landscape, like who do, you, who do you think is the best fighter? 
Well, I still think Rory has plenty of fight left in him if he if that's what he wants mm-hmm. to do. Obviously, he signed with the uh, PFL, but there are a lot of great fighters that uh, I train with. There are a lot of great fighters that you know have been around for a long time. Uh, one example would be Josh Hill, who just got a win in uh, Bellator. So I'm excited to see his hand raised. In, in, it, took him, it took him a long time to get there. Yeah. Yeah, I like Josh Hill a lot. He's a really good fighter. Very underrated. Yeah, very underrated. Uh, and you know, that's kind of the that's another example of what uh, someone went through, or another great fighter that went through with some criticism. Uh, you know, in his opportunity to do so with the Ultimate Fighter, and he just never got a, a second look back. So you know, whether the UFC will ever look at back at me, it might not even be about my fighting. It, it might be the the other aspects that I'm fighting for outside of the cage that really get their attention. Um, whether it's obviously fighting for medical quality in uh, cannabis and what the broader implications for other athletes, uh, and also you know the the different uh, projects I'm doing uh, outside of the cage. But um, I'm looking to be the best me, and now that I have my medical cannabis uh, therapeutic use exemption, uh, I know I can compete uh, at the best me I can be. A Canadian might get a UFC title shot after this weekend. Yeah, Felicia Spencer. Yep, co-main event. I think it's very like it's very possible that she's the next person to fight Nunez. That'd be awesome. I, I agree. Like, I, and I think she's actually people like scoff at me when I say this, but I think she's actually not a great matchup for Nunez. Like, I think she's big. Yep, she's going to try to wrestle. Mm-hmm. She's going to like she's not going to get into a uh, firefight with her like Cyborg did. No, like, and I think that she might be able to. Give Nunez problems. I mean, maybe I'm crazy. Who knows? Nunez is like a, a beast. I mean, she's oh, she's gonna best be of all very time. difficult. Yeah, I think so too. She's gonna be tough to beat. But I mean, like I think everyone's leash has well, got, she's been got beaten, a good skill right? set. It's the concept. Yeah, she's, she's been, been beaten. beaten before. So mm-hmm. uh, it really just depends on who shows up on game day, and that's yeah. what what always happens. The yeah. the best man or woman doesn't always win. It's the person that can show up on game day, and uh, she definitely has a, a chance. Obviously, she has a a tough fight ahead of her, and she has to get through that challenge first. But uh, you know. If she does so in, in a dominant fashion, that's your first step in the right direction, uh, being uh, crowned. Does she have a tough challenge? Who's her opponent? Can you fill me in? <laughs> oh, I thought she had a uh, Spencer. Yeah, that, that's that's what I thought you were saying. She no, has. A, she does, but who's her opponent? Can you name her? I'm, I'm, I'm giving you trivia right now. I'm having a brain. She's one, I'll give you a quiz. She's one of five featherweights in the UFC right now. Well, I, actually, it's kind of four, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember myself. It's I think Zara Fe- Zara Fern dos Boom. Santos. Yeah. Yes, now I know who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Megan Anderson beat her in the first round. Yep. And Megan's also on the card fighting Norma Dumont. Yep. So that's like that's the whole this is basically like the featherweight grand prix of the UFC. The yes. women's featherweight grand prix. Yes. <laughs> Except not really, because if Megan wins, uh or even I guess if Dumont wins, you could do Dumont versus Spencer, but I don't think we need to see Spencer versus Megan Anderson again. again. Yeah. That's that's a sad state of affairs that division. They need to like there are more women's featherweights out there. I mean, yeah, look there at Invicta. Are. They, they have women's featherweight fights on every card for the most part, except for when they're, I guess, doing a Phoenix series. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know. It's weird that they've just kind of they've kept it going for some reason. Like, well, I guess it's just because Nunez, they want Nunes to defend two titles? Or True. Well, well the, what's his face? Benedita's is fighting for yeah, another uh, division that doesn't alive. exist anymore. Yeah. I thought it doesn't exist no, anymore. No, they've got rankings for it, but there's only like 13 people in the rankings. I know. Which means that if I signed today to be a flyweight in the UFC, I'd be ranked. You'd be 15. I'd be, I'd be in there. You'd be top they'd, four. they'd throw me into the pool and people would rank me. 
and I could just be there. I could be a ranked UFC fighter for a week and then retire without yeah. having to get in there. <laughs> yeah, I should compete. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I started staying away for a favor next time I see him. He's just like, can I sign a flyweight contract? It doesn't matter how much this is perfect because I'm never going to get in there, but I just would like to be in the rankings for a week so I can tell people I was a ranked fighter. Maybe do autograph <laughs> signings. I could be like that Zamboni goalie from over exactly. the weekend. Oh, my God. That's what a story. amazing. What a story. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I love it. I, I love it. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's unbelievable. I definitely uh, crap on. See, that, a that's lot like of an MMA hu- type thing that happened yes, in the, that's in the so NHL. MMA. Yeah, that's so that's so gong show. You know what I was thinking about the other day, actually, in terms of like I wanted to see when the anniversary of this fight was, but there was a man with an arrow shaved into his chest fighting a man in a pink speedo in yes, like UFC yes, in the last Ryan decade. Ryan Hall yeah. and um, Ebersol, Brian Ebersole. Ebersole. Brian Ebersol, and yeah. um, Dennis Hallman. Yeah, you, Dennis. You Hallman. combined the two names. Yeah, into yes. Ryan Hall, who you trained with in Montreal. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Brain fart. Yeah. But a man with an arrow shaped into his stomach and a guy with a pink speedo. Yep. <laughs> who's the hardest training partner that you have? Like, who's somebody that you've never been able to really best in the gym or that like, gets the better of you pretty much every time you train with them? <sighs> is there anybody like that? One like, of the— Is the, Weidman like that when you went to New York? Or? I would say especially when he didn't cut down to 185. Mm-hmm. And I've heard other people, like, uh, for instance, I've heard Jacare say this. He's like, he was the toughest fight I've ever Who, had. Weidman? No, it was— oh. um, it was. Uh, uh, Francis Carmont. Oh, really? Carmont, okay. Because he Carmont's was he's a huge cutting guy. down so mm-hmm. bad. Yeah, because he's a 205er. Yeah, oh, he's a yeah. 205er. Um, and he's so big. Mm-hmm. So when he was uh, happy weight, like yeah. 230, <laughs> just trying to take him down, he, like you would, you would think he's a different person when mm-hmm. he was cutting down to 185. It's like, yeah, I can take him down. Yeah, I can do it. But when he's 205, Eating when he's not a healthy, diet, yeah. exactly yeah. healthy, <laughs> you know, has a smile and thick not, as a snicker. He's not really a, a middleweight either, no, right? Like, yeah. no, but a thick as a snicker, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he, he was just so strong and so powerful. It would it'd be, uh, it'd be hilarious if anytime you know he came a little late from class and mm-hmm. we're a little bit in, in, yeah. the, in the thick of things, and he just comes in and boom, we'll just toss everyone around. And, Barely break a sweat and leave. Yeah, I always wonder about Like, I always love hearing the stories of the guys that are amazing in the gym and then, like, on fight night, they're not able to perform for whatever reason. Yeah, I think... Like, with Mike Pyle, they said, is one of those guys who just yep. killed everybody in the gym. I believe it. Um, well, again, I think there was uh, outside forces with uh, Francis. Like, he did the same thing that George St. Pierre was doing, but never got any of the respect for it. Like, I, I've... Right. There, yeah. was a, there was one In of the fact, famous... almost every fighter that does that doesn't get the respect exactly. for Exactly. Um, so, like, I heard one of the stories where, like, um, basically, I think he, when he beat that, what was it? The guy, it was almost Costa, again, Costa. Paul Costa, what was the Paulo guy? Tiago, I think. No, no. no. Um, what was his name? No, Tiago was a 170. I think it was Paul Costa. The, uh, the guy from uh, New York as well. He's from oh, New Costa Filippo. Costa Philippou. There you fellow, go. Fellow Greek. Yes, there you go. Costa <laughs> Philippou. I was, I was messing up the... Because mm-hmm. yeah. Costa can be a, mm-hmm. a Greek right. name, too, yeah. so I was messing that up, too. But um, Philippou, he... he um, uh, Francis and him were competing, and Francis just basically took him out on a will mm-hmm. and just kind of threw him around a rag, the ragdoll. And then uh, uh, right after the fight, um, <laughs> the head of the UFC kind of just said, uh, you know... Oh, I, I forgot you fought. I fell asleep uh, halfway through it. Jeez. Yeah. Like, right after you win. Mm-hmm. And Philippou was, like, a great stand-up fighter. Yep. He's not a guy you want to stand with. No. Yeah. <laughs> that was, like, his only path to victory pretty yes. much against pretty much. Carmont. Yeah. 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 And, again, he was, like, fifth in the world at that point. Who and Carmont just, was? Yeah, Carmont. Yeah. After that win. Mm-hmm. Fifth in the world. 
Yeah. Just no respect about it. Mm-hmm. And you're right. He did what George what George did. And I think that's what took Usman such a long time to get to the top. Yeah. Like Usman was destroying everybody, but like it's hard to stand out when you're when you're doing that. Although when you're not standing. Well, it's true, right? <laughs> but the thing about uh, Usman was nobody wanted to fight him. Yeah. And, and the same thing's happening with Ryan Hall, who yep. we talked about earlier. Nobody wants to fight Ryan Hall. And same with Hakeem Dawadu. Yep. Nobody wants to seem... I think his last opponent was like the sixth or seventh guy they, they, they called that, you know, everybody else had turned it down. No, definitely. No, that's definitely kind of the... Uh, uh, Did you have that kind of, those kind of problems when you fought? Because, I mean... Again, you're somebody who can really stifle people, and yeah, no, I, no one really ever said no. There was just like I don't know, just some weird instances and stuff like that where like um, Shoeface just kept on getting injured, but okay, then right. uninjured, and then although he continues to do that to this day, yeah, so exactly. I don't know if so that's like, particularly to you, yeah, yeah. The, there was just weird things where it just like just didn't sit right, and then like mm-hmm. oh, he's fighting someone else. Okay, I don't know. I always said Shoeface should have stayed at heavyweight. Like he was like yeah. he was like two twelve on the Ultimate Fighter, but well, like it, it was his wrestling, right? So like he, he, he has. It's very similar in regards to uh, Nordine. Nordine looks right. bigger than he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shoeface looks bigger than he is. It's because he has like, for lack of a better word, like bird bones, very light bones, comparative to the actual, um, you know, weight uh, of flesh and how that kind of uh, sits on his body and how it weighs on him. So I think with him. His deficit, and I think he was a light heavyweight, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but he doesn't have the wrestling, and that just happened when he um, got thrown around by a ragdoll by a guy that fought DC. I can't remember his name. He was also Cummins. A, Cummins. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, Cummins, uh, Pat Cummins, threw him around like a ragdoll, and that's mm-hmm. when he went to. But I don't middleweight. think he should have gone to light heavyweight. I think he should have just stayed at heavyweight. And the reason why is because like you could just. Fly, you know, flypaper these guys fair and just like find ways to like use your jujitsu to just yeah. mess with them because they don't know how to wrestle. No, like I mean, you'll obviously get stopped by like the likes of Stipe and yeah. DC and stuff at the top, but like you can make a good career out of just like getting in there with you know the Marcos Rogerio Delimas of yeah. the world. Delima. Grab onto him, he'll try to grapple with you because he's good at jujitsu, but he's not like. The level, I mean, yep. who did Shoeface beat again in jiu-jitsu? Like, it wasn't like Gordon Ryan, but it was somebody, like, of that caliber, yep. if I remember, yep. that he, that he, I guess, outpointed in competitive jiu-jitsu recently. Maybe it was Gordon Ryan. It was, like, somebody a lot smaller than him, but, like, hmm. one of the, like, world-class grapplers. Like, that's how good Shoeface is yep. at jiu-jitsu. But, like, at 185, everybody's fast. You yep. know, they can, they can, you know, grapple with you. They're, they're more savvy. But at heavyweight, like, if he could have, he could have just grabbed onto guys, you know, avoided striking and found a way to just tap him all out, and I think he would have been, it would have been like a Charles Oliveira type deal, like he would have just been able to sub everybody. True. I, I think still more the, the middleweight, because again, the middleweight division, I think is, or not the middleweight, uh, the light heavyweight Yeah, he probably division. could have, if they would have matched him up properly, sure. Yeah. But you get the good wrestlings like a Patrick Cummins in there, and you're just going to yeah. lose. You get, he's, he's not as good off bottom as he is off top. Yeah. It's no. like a Demian, like Demian Maia for the most part, although Demian Maia... Like Shoeface, I think both of those guys know how to kind of turn bottom into top. Yep. But, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I always thought Shoeface was going to be... A lot of these guys that I saw in the Ultimate Fighter, I thought were going to compete for, like, belts. Like, I thought Warley Alves was one of those guys. I thought he was going to be just a guy that would run through. But I think there was, like, a mental thing with him where he couldn't... True. On certain fights, he wouldn't be able to just get into it. You could see it. See it. In, on his face where, like, he'd look at the clock and, like, he wasn't prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the kind of things you can't really do. glean from watching the Ultimate Fighter sometimes, yeah. right? No, it's and very I, true. Yeah, and I thought Shoeface was going to be really good when he when he uh, finished the show. Well, he had a four or five fight uh, win streak. Yeah, right. Yeah, he was like he was really good. Four by subs. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he was he was solid. I still love Charles Oliveira. That's yep. I know Kevin Lee's probably training with you right right now when you're in Montreal. Mm-hmm. But uh Charles Oliveira's like that guy's I think the most fun guy to watch. Yeah. Ever. Like, like <laughs> the, what, he's up there for yeah. sure. And especially in a, in the way that he's able to be the the jiu-jitsu practitioner he is, right? Like mm-hmm. he's exciting leading up to it and and in the, the way he'll just grab it. It's right. exciting because yeah. it's like almost like the Venus flytrap. Like it's like we got you. Yeah, and he'll throw stuff at you that you've just never seen before. Yep. Probably. Um, have you thought of doing any of these grappling tournaments? Like it seems like that's kind of the new in vogue thing to do. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, I, I got so much kind of going on in regards to uh, fighting, um, uh, fighting uh, the good fight inside the cage and out. Uh, some of the other projects. Uh, so you know, I, I still train twice uh, a a day. For the most part, whether or not it kind of fits in the schedule, uh, so that's kind of still my focus. I'm a mixed martial artist. I would kind of look at it the same way as I'm, you know, I've had a, a purple belt for like the last six years. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because I don't do gi enough. And after my career as a mixed martial artist, I want to, uh, you know, go back into the gi and become more of a, a martial artist in that capacity. You're in this for life. I mean, I think everybody yeah. that does this just wants to. Once you get out of the cage, you still need something competitive to strive for and I yep. think getting you know those degree black belts in jiu-jitsu is probably something that everybody wants to do for sure they, like i think john jones is only like a what like a brown brown belt, belt in jiu-jitsu but he's, you would know it from watching him but i guess a lot of these guys have found a good way to just take jiu-jitsu and implement it into a style that works for mma yeah it's not like just pure jiu-jitsu no no and that's one of the things i've definitely been focusing on since uh i've left mm-hmm. cool awesome well Nice catching up. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Trying to think if there's anything else we want to touch on. but Not uh, that. I like uh, just talking MMA with you. It's fun. Yeah, the, the, the feeling's <laughs> mutual. All right, cool. All right, uh, thanks for coming in. And uh, when you have that other piece of news that you uh, kind of wink-winked and nudged-nudged me about uh, during the interview, we'll uh, love to have you in again. Definitely. Uh, I'll definitely uh, appreciate the opportunity to catch up and uh, talk about what I'm doing inside the cage. Now. Big thanks to Elias Theodoro. Let's get to our uh, first interview that involves a fighter competing this weekend. And that's uh, Joe Benavides, who we discussed earlier in the show. Quite the journey for Joe B as he uh, heads into his main event opportunity against none other than Davis and Figueredo as he tries for a fourth time to win gold in his career. Let's see if he can get over the hump this weekend in Norfolk, Virginia. Here he is, Joe Benavides. They say it's not the destination, it's the journey. And what a journey it's been. One of resilience and hopefully perseverance for Joe Benavidez this weekend. Uh, Joe, how's everything going with you? And um, do, you th- do you agree? Is that the story right now? Yeah, feels good. Everything's going great this week. Um, it's been fun getting closer. And, you know, everything is going as planned. Feels like a great fight. Getting excited to go perform um, first and foremost. And... Um, yeah, I mean, it's been the story, and a lot of media is the journey. I mean, even in my mind, it's beautiful to reflect on everything that has happened till I got here. Um, but, you know, we're always on a journey. You never arrive anywhere. You know, you simply keep going. So, you know, the even the title that I'm going to win, that's a pit stop on the journey that I'm looking forward to. And there's a ton after that, but yes, yeah, since then it's been, it's been, it's been awesome. And um, a big question is this and that, and this has happened, and it's like I wouldn't change anything. You know, I love who I am and where I'm at and how I'm happy, 
um, what I felt, what I've gained, what I've persevered through, who I've met through everything. And every little part of my journey, anything that could have gone different, you know, I might not feel the same I feel right now just by one little thing going different. So it's been a journey and it's been windy and, you know, there's been ups and downs, but like I wouldn't change any of it. It's, it's, it's great. And it's great to be here right now. It's a good way to look at it. I mean, resilience really is the key word. You know, you, you've had three title shots. You, you've come out unsuccessful in three of them. But these are against two of the best guys to ever fight in those divisions. You're talking Dominic Cruz, Demetrius Johnson. Two of those were split decisions. I mean, I think that the path to get to the title is one that I think a lot of people would be unable to do. A lot of people probably would have put their head down and, and walked away. You've stuck with it, and you've beaten just about everybody else in the sport. Uh, you've got to be proud of that. Yeah, you know. It is definitely something, honestly, like, like I have a hard time giving myself credit or anything because I think everybody at what they do is, is so amazing and, and all that stuff. But yeah, it is something I'm very proud of and the perseverance I've shown. And I just relate that to, to life and, and other people like everybody, you know, gets knocked down and has their highs and lows. And it's just like, the important thing for me has been trying to keep the same belief and focus through the up, through the down, when things are good, when things are bad. And I think a big part of that has been like the people I have around me first and foremost, like my wife, like knowing she's there when, you know, things are bad and, and things are good. And, you know, the coaches who, you know, put everything on the line for me as well and sacrifice their time. Like, yeah, that's the stuff that's, that's kind of brought me here is that perseverance. Um, you know, I think I just learned a lot from my childhood, even like, you know, I feel like things weren't great, but my mom was always, you know, happy no matter if we had a, you know, if she had to go work at a job she didn't like, if, if we were being bad kids, like there was still always like good, and happiness through like an up and a down and uh, I don't know I think that's a lot where I get it from the perseverance and then it's just been nurtured I think now by the people around me um, which has been you know I mean a blessing and that is truly like I think the most important thing about it you mentioned your wife Megan O'Leary she's a broadcaster and journalist for the UFC they're not making her work this weekend I hope <laughs> No, they're not. They're not. Um, nope, she's going to be watching. Funny enough, she hasn't even watched one of my fights since, um, I think, maybe the first Formiga fight in Brazil, in Belo Horizonte, Brazil, with, you know, her and, I think, the most American man, Dan Henderson, were the only Americans there cheering, you know, despite all the Brazilians around them uh, cheering for me that day and uh yeah so that was like the last fight i think she watched you know she works my fights but you know she typically will go into a bathroom or a dark room and set a timer or something oh you're here on camera now yeah she'll go into the bathroom and set a timer but um yeah this one she's going out for i was backstage with her actually at the uh your fight in brooklyn i believe it was and uh, she was doing interviews and i think 
basically she rounded a corner and I gave her a thumbs up. <laughs> she knew that kind of everything had worked out. Uh, so it must be very nerve wracking for her to have to, I guess, have that assignment while you're fighting. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so she's with you in Virginia, I guess. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She's, she's been, she's been a blessing. Everything a great wife should be like a fourth cornerman taking care of me, my cornerman, uh, making sure everything's great and just, um, you know, making me feel the love and, and the gratitude every day for the life and, and what we do and what we get to do. You guys were, uh, so we're, on, just, we're just just on with Ryan and Kelly the other day, I saw, or Kelly and Ryan. Uh, how'd we that were. get set up? We were. Part of the adventure, like, you know, she's here, and we're always just like, dude, this is, this is an adventure. This is great. You know, we're in it together. We're on a plane. You know, like, every time we take off on a plane, that's where we're going, right? On some kind of freaking adventure. This is just a great one. That was part of it. And that was such a good start to it, the Kelly and Ryan show, like, I don't know. I don't think it's a once in a lifetime thing and we get to sh kind of do it and share it together. It was, ins it was crazy. Um, it was fun, but at the same time I felt like comfortable and like, I should be here. This is so fun. Like daytime television. I'm like high fiving the house moms and the crowd. And, uh, it was just cool. Like the reach that had was just incredible. And, just the most kind people too, you know, Kelly and Ryan and the whole crew around there, like at what they do, they're just like the most kind professional people. And you can see why the heck they're where they're at and so loved by all of America. So it was great to be on there and share that with them. Like I went to the airport after and a nice lady at the airport was like, um, were you two on Kelly and Ryan this morning? And like the show had ended, you know, like two hours before. But she watched it before she went to the airport because that's what people do in the world. And I was part of it. And it was just it was so cool. Yeah, that, uh, that sounds like it was it was uh, pretty awesome. You know, you mentioned actually your early years. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because you you talked about how before you got into fighting, you had a, a, an issue with alcoholism. And uh, I guess you I don't believe you uh, had a drink since you started in the UFC. Um, how, tell me about that part of your life and, and what you had to go through in order to get to where you are right now. Oof, uh, I've had to go through a lot in that regard. Um, I haven't had a drink in like go, going on 15 years this year. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think of because I mean, I, I just, I feel I wouldn't have anything in my life, you know, without, if I hadn't stopped that and my life could have went so many different ways. Um, you know, I was lucky enough. I was only went to jail and didn't kill anyone or kill myself. Um, I never, I wasn't a bad person. So, you know, I never saw myself really going to prison or something unless I did do something very reckless. But like, you know, every male in my family before that, you know, had, had went to prison and um, kind of just saw myself on that way. I just hated my life at that point, you know, but, uh, couldn't really find a way out, like abusing the alcohol and drugs every day. And then uh, I was just honestly fortunate enough to, to get caught doing it and have to stop. And it wasn't like, you know, being locked up for a little bit or anything that changed me or was hard. It was the benefit of it, you know, being forced to stop drinking, going through withdrawal, and then getting out and having the strength once I got out to say, you know what, I'm good. 
like I have a head start on this and I'm just going to keep it going. And honestly, I never looked back after that. Um, just never looked back. I became sober for the first time. And, you know, even just within the first few months, I realized like, well, this is life. Like this is what it's supposed to be like. Like I remember what's going on. I'm like, even though for a while I couldn't necessarily have real conversations with people because I didn't really know how, but I could at least like see and feel things. And, you know, through that, that's where I found my, you know, passions and everything being mixed martial arts and was able to focus on it and just become a better like person, you know, better son, a better like family member, eventually a good husband and, uh, and all that stuff. Good fighter. Well, Joe, everything you've done in life has been earned, and uh, you have a fourth opportunity to earn a title this Saturday, and uh, we wish you the best of luck. Norfolk, Virginia, UFC Fight Night, yourself versus Davis and Figueredo, and uh, again, best of luck uh, this Saturday. Heck yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. Huge thanks to Joe Benavides, but uh, unfortunately, he's outnumbered on this uh, particular show. because He's got me, Elias, and our next guest, all Canadians, on the show. And that next guest is Felicia Spencer, who is in the co-main event, taking on Zerofern Dos Santos in the featherweight division, looking to become the next Canadian to earn a title shot in the UFC, and that's Felicia Spencer, who joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. I'm joined now by the phenom, Felicia Spencer. Nice to see you again, Felicia. Now, I don't know if this has been indicated to you or not. Do you feel like a title shot hangs in the balance here when you're in the co-main event against Zara Farron this weekend? I do. Uh, like, It hasn't been um, you know, brought up by the UFC at all, but... You know, as everyone everyone sees that there's four featherweights on this card, and you know my fight is in the co-main event, just kind of having a little extra spotlight. I feel like, and um, honestly, whoever looks the best um, on Saturday night is probably going to get a shot, and I know that's going to be me. They have been, I guess, indicating that Amanda Nunes wants to defend the featherweight title next. Now, have you thought about Amanda and how you would match up against her? I know you have something, uh, you know, an opponent ahead of you right now, but have you looked at that matchup and and how that might be favorable for you? Absolutely. You know, the, the division, or I'm always keeping eyes on the whole division. You know, it's um, Amanda's been in the spotlight for a while, too. And I know that uh, it's always been my goal to always fight the, you know, the, the toughest fights out there. And, um, you know, at first it was uh, I had my eyes set on Megan and then I had my eyes set on Chris. But the whole time, you know, I, I, I always had everyone in line in my head. And Amanda's definitely... Um, on my mind for the future. Um, definitely don't want to overlook Zara because I know that I have a tough, um, I feel like a, an underestimated opponent in front of me, which is definitely um, dangerous to deal with. And uh, I don't want to put myself in a position to uh, be vulnerable by overlooking her. You mentioned fighting the top competition. Now, you fought valiantly against Chris Cyborg, one of the greatest of all time, in your last fight. What did you learn from that experience? You know, obviously, Chris Cyborg at the very top of the featherweight division for so many years, and you had that opportunity. Um, I, I did, you know, take away a lot of good things, mostly just I, right now I feel very confident with um, executing things that I didn't do in my fight against Chris. You know, everyone was kind of congratulating just my effort but that's that's not good enough i i know i could have done better i know that i could have won and i know that anyone can win any fight on on any night and it's just it's a matter of showing up and um you know applying all the everything that you know so i'm going to show up on saturday um to be the best version of myself against zara and that's how i'm going to earn my title shot 
You say you feel like you could have won that fight. Have you gone back and watched it a couple of times and realized what you might have been able to do better? Yeah, you know, there's. I, I always end up watching the fights uh, here and there, and I like to watch myself when I'm preparing for my next opponents as much as I watch them because I feel like I can see my where my hesitations are, you know, where little improvements can be. So mostly just uh, capitalizing on certain opportunities and, um, you know, just having a, a clear mind. Um, and it, I feel like I was a little bit predictable when uh, in the, you know, after the first round especially, I just got a little bit uh, predictable and, and robotic with some of it. So I feel like just you know, breathing and, and um, being myself. I mean, that's all it really comes down to for me is when I'm myself, I'm relaxed, then I'm going to have, I don't want to say have fun, but when I'm in the rhythm, then I perform my best. And you performed your best last uh, year in your debut against Megan Anderson. First round finish against Megan. Megan has a first round finish against your upcoming opponent, Zara Farron, this weekend. Now, MMA math, which is never accurate, would dictate that this should be an easy matchup for you. But what have you seen from Zara Farron and how do you think that you match up against her? And I'm so glad you said that, that I'm not looking at the MMA math like, uh, you know, a tale of what's going to happen. Um, I definitely respect her, uh, Zara's ground game, even though, you know, I submitted Megan, Megan submitted her. It doesn't mean that she can't submit me. I mean, you know, everyone, especially if you train, you know, if you are in the gym, you know that just because maybe you're a black belt doesn't mean that, you know, someone that's a lower rank can't you know kind of have their way once in a while with you or you know yeah you, you try something you make a mistake it usually doesn't happen but you know when you're trying something taking a risk it's all about risk reward so you know sometimes it doesn't fall in your favor <laughs> but um but I, I definitely respect her as an opponent um i think it's going to be an exciting fight i think i'm going to be able to get an exciting finish 2019 was an exciting year for you obviously the ufc debut uh, the, the fight with Cyborg, but most importantly, you got married in December uh, to your husband, Todd. Now, Todd fought two weeks ago, his professional debut, and he won. What was that like, the experience of watching your husband fight? That was awesome. It was, yeah, it was nice to, you know, through all the obstacles to, to have him be a professional by my side, and um, it was, it was, it's always different to watch someone, you know, a teammate, or in this case, my husband, uh, fighting. It's a little bit nerve-wracking, but I was 100% confident that he would be able to, you know, take the victory and, and be all right. So uh, the confidence I have in him was definitely helping ease the nerves a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, but it's really cool that we get to share the experience together kind of in the same time. So whenever I speak to someone who has a partner that fights, I always ask this question. Were you more nervous watching him than you are to actually go in there yourself? Um, in in some ways, yeah, I, I don't feel like I really get nervous for my fights anymore. So I was, I, and I, I usually channel that nervous energy into like more excitement and just kind of like, I just get a little amped up. I mean, uh, so, you know, if you were standing next to me during the fight, before the fight, I get very like tense and just like excited, you know, kind of jumpy. And then during the actual fight, I'm, I'm usually actually very uh, like honed in and quiet so I'm very invested in it so I'm just kind of like watching and absorbing it so it's kind of like two different like as soon as the fight starts it's completely different for me so uh, but yeah it, it definitely is a different uh, different thing to watch someone fight than to do it yourself you mentioned wanting to build this division do you feel like the UFC has done a good enough job of building this division 80% of the division fights this Saturday <laughs> um, I think that's a step in the right direction I think that that means that they want to uh, 
make a statement. You know, it's not like they're just trickling us in or, you know, trickling the fights in. This is like a, obviously a statement that they're making by doing this on the same card. And I think that it lines up with what Amanda wants to do uh, later in the year. So, um, you know, it, things could have happened maybe a little faster. But honestly, I think it's a, a really big step in the right direction. Well, a big night for you ahead on Saturday, February 29th. Might be the only time you ever fight on February 29th since it comes every four years. But you're in the co-main event yeah. against Zara Farron Dos Santos, and we're really looking forward to it here in Canada. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time and, and for watching. All right, thanks to our guests, Elias Theodoru, Joe Benavidez, Felicia Spencer. I don't know if Joe is going to be back on time. I have to record next week's show early in the week because I'm heading to Las Vegas on Wednesday for UFC 248. We've also got a press conference for UFC 249 on Friday. Khabib, Tony, face-to-face. Can't wait. The energy in that building is going to be electric. But until then, we will uh, talk about the results of UFC Fight Night in Norfolk, Virginia. We will preview UFC 248. All that and more next week on the TSN MMA Show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.